I encourage you to now take your Bibles and turn them to 1 Timothy chapter 5 if you're not there already. Kind of hard to believe we're already in the fifth chapter of this little epistle here. And this evening we'll be looking at verses 1 and 2, slowing it down a little bit of chapter 5. So I'm going to read those two verses for us. But before I do, I remind you, as always, brothers and sisters, what we're about to hear read is the word of the living God. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Beloved of God, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So let's ask him now to use his word to cause us to behold the brilliance and purity of his glory in his word. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we acknowledge before you that in and of ourselves as we approach you, we are poor and blind and naked wretched and pitiable. And so we are amazed at the love that we've just sung about, the love that you've shown us in sending your son to save us, that in him we might become your sons through adoption in your only begotten son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask now that you might show us his glory in your word. And we ask that in response to your love for us, that we might love you more. And teach us, Father, tonight through your word, to live as the family that we are in Christ. Increase our love for you and for one another. May the world know that we are Christ's disciples by how we love each other. As we reflect the very love that Christ shows to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, I don't remember exactly when it was, but at some point in my pastoral ministry, I decided that I would make a habit of calling the believers around me brother and sister. Some of you are probably aware of that reality. And I didn't do that because I thought it would be trendy. I'd be setting the trend. And I didn't think that that it was commanded by God. I don't think it's necessary that one does that. But as I looked at my own heart and I looked at my interactions with fellow believers, I realized I really struggle to remember that these believers are my brothers and sisters. And so a helpful way to remind myself of this reality, so hopefully I then treat them that way, is to actually refer to them as my brother or my sister, understanding that they're my brother or my sister in Christ. Now, I also didn't do that because I didn't think that by calling you all brother and sister, that that would somehow create the reality of a family. That you would become my brothers and sisters just because I thought of you that way and I called you that way. No, 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 no. We know from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, that Jesus has already created that reality that we are family. Paul tells the Ephesians, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He doesn't say be eager to create it. He says, be eager to maintain that which Jesus has created and applied to you 
by the Holy Spirit. And so for me, it was a reminder that Jesus has created us as a family through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection and ascension. We are the sons and daughters of the living God. And so we ought to to treat each other that way. And so I engaged in that habit and still do so that I might be reminded of that. And as we think about the family of God, we see that that's really the topic that Paul is now transitioning to in chapter 5. And in these first two verses, he's encouraging Timothy in how he ought to think about and then treat his brothers and sisters around him in the church. And we know that Paul has already told Timothy earlier in the letter, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that the, the church is what? The household of God. It's the family of God. And so Paul says, Timothy, because that's true, here's how you ought to think about and interact with the believers in the church. And what we're going to see is that he says, you're to interact with them according to their age and according to their gender. You interact with them differently depending on their gender and their age. And so here's the four relationships, and this is going to serve as the outline for this evening for these two verses. These four relationships that Paul tells Timothy to live in light of in the church. First of all, and these are both in verse 1, he says you're to treat the older men as fathers. You're to think of them as spiritual fathers in Christ, and then you're to treat them that way. Secondly, also in verse 1, you're to treat the younger men as brothers. That's how you're to think of them. That's how you're to treat them. Then we get to the second verse, and we see the third relationship that Paul instructs Timothy in, that you are to treat the older women as mothers. That's how you're to think about them and treat them. And then fourthly, also in verse 2, you're to think of the younger women as sisters. That's how you're to think about them. And that's how you're to interact with them and treat them. And so tonight, my hope is that as we look at what it means for us to be the family of God, we do two things. First of all, we rejoice in the reality that the Father has adopted us as his children in Christ. And that because of what Christ has done, we live in light of that reality. And then secondly, that we would live in light of that reality out of love and gratitude and thankfulness for by God's grace being included in it, striving more and more to maintain that unity that he has created. So it's my hope and prayer that his spirit would use the word to that end this evening. So let's look first then at verse 1 and look at the first relationship that Paul instructs Timothy in, the older men and how he is to think about them and treat them. Look at verse 1 with me. Do not rebuke an older man but encourage him as you would a father. And I just love how practical scripture is. It's very practical. And Paul's being practical for Timothy here because think about what Paul just instructed, commanded Timothy to be doing in chapter 4. He said, you have all these responsibilities in the church to teach the whole counsel of God, to set an example in speech and conduct and love for the body. You are to immerse yourself in these things so that they see your progress. And then Paul goes on to say, listen, there are times in your pastoral ministry where you're going to have to correct people in the church. And so how are you to think about that? And how are you to treat those individuals? Because you're going to be dealing with individuals. 
And so the first group of individuals that Paul wants to address to Timothy is the older men. And here's what he says. He says, when it comes time for you to admonish the older men, do not, do not rebuke them. So first he's going to start out by saying, here's what you ought not to do. You ought not to rebuke them. That word there in the Greek carries this idea of hitting or striking. And so I think it's really clear what Paul is, is getting at with Timothy. He's saying, don't be harsh when you have to correct an older man. Don't be abrasive. Don't be jarring. You're to be respectful. You're to remind yourself of who this is that you are interacting with. And I've got to tell you, I used to be a much younger gospel minister, but I think I am still a young gospel minister. And this is a real temptation when you're having to correct brothers in the church, men in the church who are older than you. And I think the reason for that is because we all struggle with fear of man in different ways, don't we? To varying degrees, and I think for younger gospel ministers, there's really for all of us, there's two extremes that we can respond to when we experience the fear of man. On the one hand, and this is the first example we're talking about here, you can be overly zealous, you can be harsh and jarring because of your own insecurity, your own insecurity of the, the authority that you actually do wield as a gospel minister. God has called you to this. But this man is older than me and I'm younger. And so I'm insecure in that. Also, if you're younger, I'm younger. Timothy's younger here. There's immaturity still, isn't there? There can be not as much self-control as there should be. And so this results in a rebuke of an older man when he needs to be corrected. Now, the other extreme, the other sinful way to respond is to just not pursue the correction at all, right? To just ignore it, to pretend like it doesn't even exist. And I'm talking about, not that there aren't wisdom calls where you, love covers a multitude of sins. I'm talking about when something needs to be addressed and corrected with an older man in the church, and a young gospel minister goes to one of these two extremes. And Paul says, neither one of those are an option for you. And so he says, that's not what you, you're not to do that. Then what are you to do? Well, look at what he says in the rest of verse 1 there, where he's specifically talking about the older men. He says, you are to encourage him as you would a father. And so what he's saying here, that word encourage is this idea of admonish or plead or beg. Come before them rather than, than trying to strike them to, to get them to do what you know they need to do. Come alongside of them and admonish them, encourage them. Not harshly, but respectfully, deferentially, the way that you ought to. And he says, how are you to do that? You're to do this as if they were your father. Which again, isn't that so wise? Have you ever had to correct your dad? I have. A couple of handful of times, very infrequently. And when I think about my dad, I love my dad. I respect my dad. I admire my dad. He's been a model of faithfulness for me my entire life. And so the thought of, as a young adult, thinking, man, I really think I actually need to correct him on this. Now, no doubt there were times when I did that harshly, to my shame. I did that in insecurity and immaturity and not as self-controlled as I should have. But by God's grace, there are also times where I communicated to him, I do this reluctantly, but because I love you. And so there was respect and there was honor and 
There was a fear in my heart. I don't want my dad to misunderstand and think that this means I respect him any less or I'm dishonoring him or that I don't love him. And what Paul is telling Timothy is that's exactly how you ought to approach the older men in the church. Deferentially, respectfully, honoring them, not pugnaciously, harshly, but gently as you ought to. So the application to young gospel ministers is is really clear, but the application doesn't end there. The application extends to all of us as the church of God. And so let me address a few different groups here. First of all, to the younger Christians, there will be times when you need to correct an older Christian. We've got a lot of kids here. Children, there may be a time where you need to correct your parents. Don't make a habit of that. Don't do that all the time. But there may be times where they're wrong about something. And they're under the truth and the authority of God's word just as you are. And so there are times when it's not an option to to not address that. But when that has to be done by any of us who are younger and the person that we have to correct is older, we ought to not do it harshly. We ought not to ignore it. But we ought to do so out of love and respect, making our affection known to them. Hopefully we're making our affection known to them regularly so there's even a loving relationship that this correction can then be set upon. But it should be clear even in our correction of them that we honor them, that we love them, and that we respect them. Now to older Christian men, if correction is needed in your life, and it will be, it is at times, you should be humble enough to receive it from a younger Christian. I know that's hard. I know that's difficult. But they are your family in Christ. So don't dismiss them. Don't write them off. But hear what they have to say. This is how, as the family of Christ, we ought to interact with each other. Paul says, this is the reality that Christ has created. So now, therefore, by his grace, live accordingly in light of it. So the first relationship in the church that Paul instructs Timothy in is how he's to interact with the older men. Then he goes on to instruct him in how he's to interact with the younger man. The younger men. And so we see that in the rest of verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. So again, Paul is telling Timothy that there will be times when he has to correct the younger men. And frankly, younger men oftentimes need a lot more correction and instruction, don't they? I know that from experience because I was once a young man who needed a lot of correction and instruction, and by God's grace, I received a lot of it. And now that I've been a pastor for many, many years, I know that much of our time as pastors is dedicated to correcting and instructing younger men. And so how is Timothy to think about the younger men and treat them? Paul says very clearly as brothers. And what Paul means here is really, really, really simple to understand. Paul's saying, Timothy, listen, even as you have to correct the younger men at times, it should be absolutely clear to them that you love them. Your affection for them and your commitment to them, that you are brothers, should lead the way even as you correct and instruct them. doesn't mean that you're, you're not honest, you're not clear. doesn't mean that you're not firm in the correction, the rebuke that you have to bring to them. But Paul says it should be abundantly clear that you are for them even as you do that. And again, as I think about this admonition, this instruction, this command, I have an older brother. And I have an older brother that has loved me well my entire life. 
And <laughs> I gave him some rough, raw, natural material to work with as a young man. And so he corrected me and instructed me a lot. And sometimes that wasn't well received on my part. But here's what I always knew. I always knew, no matter how annoying at times it, it was, I knew that my brother was for me. I knew that he was looking out for me. Don't be a doofus. Stop doing that. Stand up straight. Don't slouch like that. And sometimes it felt like a bit much, but, and I'm not admonishing you to do that to your brothers in an annoying sort of way. But here's my point. Even in that, my brother, I knew, I'm for you, Jason. I'm committed to you. I'm trying to help you. I'm looking out for you. And Paul was telling Timothy that that is how he should treat the younger men in the congregation. And again, I know I keep hammering this, but I, I want to make it abundantly clear. We don't think that way about the younger men in the congregation to create that reality. So they would become that. But again, because the son of God who humbled himself and lived and died that we might be reconciled to God, they are sons of God. So treat them that way. Think of them that way. Pray for them that way. And rebuke them that way. So I've gotten a little bit into already how this applies to gospel ministers, but let me apply it a little bit further as we move to application. I think something that's really important and sometimes hard for us to do is one of the, the implications of treating and thinking of the younger men as brothers is that when we have to rebuke them, we treat them as equals. And here's what I don't mean by that. I don't mean that you deny as a gospel minister that you don't have authority over them. You do, legitimately. And I'm also not saying that you deny that I hope if you're a gospel minister, you're more mature than they are. You don't have to deny that. I don't mean that. But what I do mean is they are equally sons of God. They are equally sheep who have been purchased and bought by the blood of the only begotten son of the Father who shed his blood that they might be redeemed. And so do they know that? That you're not approaching them as a superior, looking down on them, but rather as an equal son of God who also needs the grace of God and is coming alongside of them. That should be abundantly clear. Because what does Jesus tell his disciples? Don't lord your authority over each other. That's what the Gentiles do. And Jesus says, look, I'm among you as one who serves. And so then what does he do? He humbles himself and he washes his disciples' feet. And even more than that, he humbles himself and subjects himself to death on a cross that he might wash them pure by his precious atoning blood. And so Jesus says, now you go and do likewise. So it should be abundantly clear to our brothers that we see them as equal, equals, equally as the sons of God. Now, to all Christians, it's not just gospel ministers that are supposed to rebuke from time to time. Younger men as a family, any one of us might be called to rebuke younger men in the church. And how are we to think of them? We're to think of them as brothers. We're to cherish them and love them as those for whom Christ died. Think of them that way and treat them that way. Now, to the Christian young men, it's only appropriate that I address the Christian young men here, and that's a lot of us in here tonight. Do not be the fool that Proverbs warns us not to be. 
Because what characterizes the fool again and again and again in Proverbs? How does he think about correction and rebuke and instruction and discipline? He hates it. He rejects it. He abhors it. He runs from it because he's pursuing lady folly. Don't do that. By God's grace, pursue lady wisdom. Run headlong after her. And you know what you're going to find as you do that by God's grace? You are not only going to be open to correction and instruction from the fellow believers, your family in Christ, you're actually going to pursue it. You're going to seek it out. Because you understand that this is the means that God uses to sanctify you. One of the means that he uses that you might grow in your holiness. And by God's grace, as you do that, you will grow in wisdom and favor with God and man, even as our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, did. So we've looked at how Timothy is to relate to, with the older men and the younger men in verse 1. Now let's look at verse 2 and look how he's, first of all, to relate to the older women. He says in verse 2, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. So Paul says he's to treat the older women how? As mothers. And I probably, I'm, I'm hopeful that in this room, just saying the word mothers uh, conjures up affection in your heart. That you love your mother, you're thankful for your mother. When I think about my mom, much like my dad, I admire her, I respect her. The older I get, actually, I find I love and respect and cherish my mom more and more. I want to look for opportunities to honor her to communicate how much I appreciate all the sacrifices she made. <laughs> it's funny, especially as you become a parent, you realize this was way harder than it looked. I guess I, I probably gave them a really hard time when I was growing up too. But anyway, this affection for our mothers is natural. And you see what Paul is telling Timothy is that's how a gospel minister should treat all of the older women in the church. And here's the thing, Paul actually knew Timothy's mother. He references her, we'll see this when we get to Paul's second letter to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 5, Eunice, who has this sincere faith that by God's grace is passed on to Timothy. And so Paul's saying, Timothy, I know how much you love your mom. I know how honorable and respectable she is. That's how you're supposed to view all the older women in the church. Love and cherish them even as you do your own mother. And here's the thing. Paul modeled this kind of love for the older women in the church in his own life and ministry. Do you remember in his closing farewell, in his epistle to the Romans in chapter 16, verse 13, he says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and now notice this, also his mother. And as if that weren't precious enough, who has been a mother to me as well. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that glorious? It's a beautiful thing when the family of Christ thinks about one another and treats one another in light of the reality of what Christ has created. We are here as mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters in Christ. And so again, in the most immediate context, Paul is telling Timothy, as a young gospel minister, when the time comes for you to rebuke an older woman in the church, this better be at the forefront of your mind. In Christ, they are one of your spiritual mothers. And so that's going to affect the way that you correct them. It should be done with gentleness and respect. I want to highlight this as well because I've found this in my own ministry. 
a careful choice of words so that you're both clear in what you're communicating and you're also very careful in what you're communicating so you don't overstep the bounds. And, and again, in some of that immaturity and zeal, you end up being harsh and abrasive where you ought not to be harsh and abrasive. You're to treat her and think of her as a mother. God has called us, just like when we address the older men, to avoid both cowardice on the one hand and then also harshness and being brash on the other or any sort of impatience. There should be no impatience. And I can say this as an adult man with a mother at times, there can be impatience, can't there? Well, there shouldn't be. It's disrespectful, it's unkind, it's not loving. We should treat them the way we know we ought to treat our own mothers because they are our spiritual mothers. Now again, that doesn't just apply to gospel ministers, it also applies to all of us. So first of all, to the young people here, do you show this kind of respect to the older women in the church? Are you mindful of them? Do you think of ways to show them respect when you speak to them? Even showing honor to them, young people, in how you address the older women in the church. Because we ought to. And you know, one of the reasons that we ought to, one of the, the reasons why, is because Jesus is first of all our perfect substitute in how we treated his parents. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the fifth commandment in our place because we all fail with our biological parents and our spiritual Mothers and fathers, as it, as it were. And a great example of this, Jesus is our substitute and our example, our model. Because think of this. In John's gospel, in, in chapter 19, verse 26, you remember Jesus is dying on the cross. He's bearing the weight of all the wrath of God for all the sins of the elect. And as he's under that suffering that, that no one ever has or ever will experience, do you remember this? He turns to, to John. He turns to Mary and he says, woman, your son. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Think of that. He's dying on the cross paying for your sins and mine. And he's making sure that his mother is taken care of. And so that's the kind of respect. We, we fall woefully short of that. That's why we're thankful he's our substitute. But we're to follow him in his example, loving our mothers in the church, even as he perfectly loved his own mother. And to the older women in the church, I hope you know this. I really hope you know this before I say it. We love you. And we are thankful to God for you. And I hope we show you the respect that we ought to show you and that, that pray that we'll grow in that. And I also pray that you would be humble. When a younger person, when it's necessary for them to correct you, I hope that that younger person does that in the way that they ought to. And I hope that you receive that and respond well to it. Because when you do, your God is honored. And the word of God is honored by such godly older women who ultimately are no respecter of age, but ultimately respecters of wisdom and of truth. So we've looked at how Timothy is to relate to the older men and the younger men and the older women in verse 2. And lastly, at the end of verse 2, let's look at how he's relate to the younger women. Paul says that Timothy is to relate to the younger women as sisters in all purity. Again, such helpful, practical advice for a young gospel minister, isn't it? And I got to just bear with me for two seconds here. Don't you wish... That all gospel ministers would actually observe this text? 
Can you think of the shame and the scandal that the church would be spared if gospel ministers would actually think in their hearts and minds of the younger women in the congregation as sisters and then treat them as such? Because again, I know I keep going back to my own experience, but in this example, I think it's, it's helpful along with the others. I actually have a younger sister and an older sister. Growing up, I had a great, great relationship with them. And I can tell you with absolutely clear conscience, there was not even once a whiff of any sort of sexual impropriety in that relationship. And you're, you won't be given to that with your biological sisters unless you're given to evil sexual perversions. But see, if we actually think about the younger women in the church that way, then that wouldn't even cross our minds. And so Paul says, Timothy, this is how you're to think about the younger women in the congregation. In all purity. Don't let your heart or your mind or your actions go there even one bit. And so here's the really clear application for young gospel ministers, for gospel ministers, period. And this is our practice here at Sovereign Grace. Do not meet with women alone in the church. Don't do it. It's really that simple. Bring somebody else along. Meet with them and their husband. If they're single, bring along a friend or another pastor or another godly woman in the church. That's been the rule for our pastors and I honestly believe that it's protected us not only from any sort of impropriety but even any appearance of evil and that will continue to be our practice it protects the women in the church and the pastors in the church and the church's purity before God and man so there's a really easy application for gospel ministers if that's controversial please come talk to me after the sermon and then to the young men in the church as you interact with the young women in the church, understand you are to think of them and treat them as sisters in Christ, in all purity. That's always the case, and you need to especially be on guard when you are pursuing one of them in particular, because temptations will abound to not think of her in that way, but you are to treat her as a sister in all purity. You are not to engage in any sexual impropriety with her, and you are not to think of her in that way. Shouldn't even be a hint of it. She's your sister. And so it's shameful to think of her or approach her in any other way. And so here's the thing. Whatever boundaries you need to put in place so you make sure that you think of her and treat her that way, put them in place. Now you say exactly what is that supposed to look like? I can't tell you what that's supposed to look like. You can come talk to me and I can give you some wisdom. But Talk to some of the, the wiser, older men in the congregation and see what they think. Talk to some of the dads who've got younger daughters in the congregation and see what they think. But whatever it takes, whatever that looks like, so that you treat the younger women that way, commit yourself to do that, and then by God's grace, do it for the good of your sisters and the glory of God. To the young women in the church, I'll just make this really, really short and sweet. Be wise, be modest, and be chaste. I know this isn't very popular to say, but it, it still happens. Do not tempt your brothers in Christ to impurity. Don't do it. But instead, avail yourself. Remember how I was thanking the older godly women in our congregation for their presence? Go follow them as models and examples. We have wonderful godly women in this church who I'm excited to not only say, hey, Charlotte, my young daughter, 
Follow the example of your mother, but follow her example and her example and her example. Go learn from her. Submit yourself under, under her tutelage, if you will. Follow in their footsteps, even as they follow after Christ. And I got to tell you, Sovereign Grace, even as I was thinking about this, I hope you understand that as I thought of our church and our congregation, by God's grace, we do a good job at this. I look at how you love one another. There's oftentimes, you guys are loving each other in ways and caring for each other that, that we as your pastors aren't even aware of. And it just brings joy to our hearts when, when we hear about it. You're not doing it for the praises of man, but for the good of your brother and sister and for the glory of God. Now, having said that, we also know we can all look at our own hearts tonight and go, man, I've failed in many ways to not think and treat my fellow believers in this church as the family that they actually are. And that's sin. And that's why we're so thankful for Jesus. <laughs> because he perfectly did that in our place as our substitute. And he's our example. And here's the thing. I, I, we don't have time to go into it tonight, but I encourage you to go home and read, maybe even read this when we break up into the smaller groups and pray. But meditate on Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. Because in that passage, do you know what the apostle says to us about Jesus? He is not ashamed to call us brother. He's not ashamed to call us family. Isn't that incredible? Because of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection and ascension, we have his perfect track record of loving the family perfectly, and he's paid for all the ways that we've failed. And he's now with us in the church as our brother, not ashamed to call us brother, strengthening us, keeping us, so that we strive all the more to maintain the unity that is ours in Christ by the Holy Spirit, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And because that's true, let us strive all the more by his grace, in gratitude for all that the Father has done for us in Christ and is currently doing in us to live as he's called us to live because we are family. And the Father is faithful. He will continue to sanctify us until that glorious day when we attain full maturity as the family he's created us to be. And so we can rest in knowing this, that our Father who called us is faithful. And he will surely do it. Amen.